Why do decaf coffee pots have orange tops? <laughs> How many Kevin Costner baseball movies can you name? Well, <laughs> answers to those and other questions coming up in this edition of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Okay, Marcia, let's just start with a morning question. <laughs> Why do decaf coffee pots have an orange top? I've often wondered that. Have you? <laughs> That's good that we have on this show today, then, isn't well, it? Well, no, actually, I often wondered why, and I assume, maybe incorrectly, that it was so that waitresses wouldn't accidentally grab it by mistake next to the green one. Orange is bright like a red stoplight. Well, that's true, but why is it orange? That's the question. I don't... I, why do they have an orange top? I thought that was why, so well, you went mistaken. There's some kind of a standard, is that what you're thinking? Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> it's a default standard, Yeah. and it was established years ago by a famous coffee brand. What would that be? Maxwell House? No. Uh, Sanka? Sanka. <laughs> Sanka, yeah. Sanka was the first commercially successful decaffeinated coffee. Yeah. But it was actually a German coffee. It was uh, really? in, yeah, a guy named Ludwig Roselius and his co-workers in 1903 discovered that process and they patented it in 1906. Huh. But it wasn't called Sanka in Germany. It was called Sanka in France. Where the people marketing it said sans caffeine, meaning without caffeine. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But the people who sold Sanka sold their coffee in glass jars with orange labels. And uh, years later, in 1932, this is why it became such a standard. When General Foods purchased the Sanka brand, it promoted Sanka by sending orange Sanka coffee pots to coffee shops and restaurants around the country during the Great marketing. Depression. Yeah. yeah. So they kept them, you know, yeah. so that distinct color, like you said, made it easy for the wait staff to distinguish decaf from regular. And it all started with Sanka. Right. So that marketing worked like a charm, but maybe too well because you don't associate <laughs> it with Sanka. Sanka. And that's because other companies began marketing their decaf coffees with the same orange color. Oh. Yeah. That's why orange became the standard color for decaf coffee. Okay. All right. All right. So baseball is back and fans are thrilled. But baseball, did you know, Bob, has been on the silver screen since guess when? Well, I know they made some silent films uh, that had baseball in it. Oh. Babe Ruth starred in some silent films yeah. with, with, uh, with baseball. Yeah, but this is, the 20s. E this is even older. This is 1898. Thomas Edison did a movie called The Ball Game, and it featured amateur baseball teams from New Jersey. Anyway, that was the first baseball movie. I had movie. no idea. Yeah, I, good old Edison just came out there with a baseball movie. Well, anyway, since then, there's been over 250 baseball movies. Really? 250? Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of baseball movies. Yes. And here's the interesting part. Five of them feature Kevin Costner. <laughs> You're kidding. For whatever reason. Who he knows? was in five baseball yeah. movies? Uh, so the question here is, Bob, how many baseball movies with my favorite bodyguard can you name? <laughs> well, uh, the one that I remember the most, of course, The Field of Dreams, That's right? That's it. That's one. Um, I was thinking The Natural, but I think that was Robert Redford yeah, was in that Yeah, it one. was, yeah. 
So I don't know any of the other Kevin Costner. Well, I think you saw one, uh, at least one other one. I think Susan Sarandon was in it. The, Bull Durham? That's it. Okay. So you got two. Okay. And those are the only two I would have got two. So Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, Chasing Dreams, For the Love of the Game, and The Upside of Anger. I don't remember any of those I other don't. films. But those two are the two I would have got two. <laughs> okay. Why were many bell ringers killed by lightning during the Middle Ages, Marcia? It's a very obscure fact. Bell ringers? Bell ringers. Well, was it because they were metal and lightning struck metal? Well, that's it. But the problem was it was the bell ringers' job to scare off the storms. Oh, is yeah. that what they did? Yeah, in medieval that... days, oh. church bells were often consecrated to ward off evil spirits. And thunderstorms were thought to be the work of demons. So the bells were rung in an attempt to stop the storm. So if a storm was coming, you'd see people climbing up the bell towers and ringing the bells up there. Oh, my God. And consequently, many bell ringers were struck by lightning during their duty. Bad job. No union protection. (laughs) No No, union protection with that. (laughs) No OSHA for that. Yeah. So the bell ringers. Get up in the steeple, John. I don't want to go. Who knew? Okay. All right. Here's a, a little... Odd one. Name one of the oldest diseases still present today. Well, the bubonic plague. Well, it's not that present. I mean, really present. It exists every so often, right? Well, I guess it's never gone away. That was the way I was looking at it. So it's ancient. Yeah, it is ancient. Okay, this one is more common and is in this house, probably. Common cold. Well. No. That's not a disease. Infectious disease? No. Okay, what is it? It is arthritis. Arthritis is considered a disease. Yeah, it's a degenerative disease. One of the oldest diseases still present today is arthritis. Traces of the illness have been found in the skeletons of the Neanderthal man 40,000 years B.C. I guess I usually think of a disease, I guess, as infectious, like you could give it to somebody else. Actually, so do I. But anyway, this is 40,000 B.C. Wow. 40,000 B.C. (laughs) That's And still, we can't figure out how to fix that thing. They didn't have a leave. What are you going to (laughs) do? All right. Now, during this time of the coronavirus, we're not able to travel like we'd like to. So let's just imagine for a moment we want to go to the mountains, okay? Uh Uh-huh. I remember going to Pikes Peak as a kid, 14,110 feet. I remember that on the sign. Pikes Peak? Yeah, Pikes Peak. So how many mountains in the United States are taller than 14,000 feet? And where are they? God. Well, I'll... Two-part question. Uh, <laughs> you little sassy man. All right. Okay, I'll say six mountains. They are located in Washington, Oregon, and Colorado. Well, that's a good guess. No. <laughs> you love that. There are 96 mountains... Really? ...in the United States. Bigger than... Taller than 14,000. I, I have to admit, I didn't know that. 96 mountains in the United States higher than 14,000 feet. Now, Colorado has more of them than anyone else. Colorado has 53 mountains taller than 14,000 feet. Alaska is in second place with 29. Yeah, I should have thought of that. What are the other two states that have 14,000 feet Uh, mountains? So it's Alaska. Alaska and Colorado. Yeah. Washington. Washington State has two. And Oregon, no. No. Montana? No, they don't have that. Uh, I don't know. California. California? California really? has 12 mountains, 14,000 feet or taller. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Now, which state has the tallest mountains of all? Would that be Alaska? 
Denali. Uh-huh. All right. I got one right. That's right. Uh, Denali is 20,310 feet. That's the tallest mountain on the North American continent. How tall is it? It's almost four miles tall. Okay. So all the others are between 14 and 20. 20. Now, um, the tallest of all the mountains are in what state? Alaska. That's right. The 22 tallest mountains in the United States are in Alaska. Hmm. That's amazing. But altogether, 96 mountains taller than 14,000 feet in the United States. So a little tourism question there for you. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Fascinating. Okay, here's one Mm -hmm. also about land. Who is the largest landowner in Texas? I would think it'd be the U.S. government. But am I wrong? This is a a, a not government person. This is a landowner. These are landowners. The King family. (gasps) Wow. Right? The yes. King family? The yeah, King. the heirs to uh, Captain Richard King. Good for you. Because the King Ranch was always the biggest ranch in Texas. It's one of the biggest wow. in the world. Okay. It's bigger than the size of Rhode Island. It's 825,000 acres. Wow. And it's the home to 35,000 cattle. Jeez. And over 200 quarter horses. That is amazing. And the old, that old homestead is worth over a billion bucks. And, and you say the ranch is bigger than the state of... Of Rhode Island. Yeah. And King has 60-plus uh, heirs who own that, and it's worth over a billion dollars. Jeez. <laughs> well, speaking of Rhode Island, there's one county in the United States that's larger than Rhode Island. Where is that county? Uh, is that Alaska? No. County Montana? Nope. Texas? No. <laughs> Tell me. It's in Colorado. Oh, really? There are 64 counties in that state, and this one is 1,117 square miles, which is bigger than the state of Rhode Island. It's Hinsdale County, but only 800 people live there. It's very, very remote. Interesting, ah. huh? The Continental Divide crosses Hinsdale County twice. Really? That's well, how that's, rugged it is. It is. Most of the counties divided among four national forests and four wilderness areas, so... Even though it's big, it's hard to get to, hard to cross. Yes. I got some quick answer questions for okay. you. Okay. All right. What letter is the most used in English? E. You got it. What's the second most frequently used letter in English? Uh, T. That's right. What letter do more English words begin with than any other? You're very good. S. S. S, that's it. You got all those right. So those are my three big, fast answers. I love cryptograms, so that's... uh, Oh, that's that's, where you get that. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I have to know those things. All those interesting little cryptogram things you're doing all the time. Breaking code, baby. Breaking code. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we're doing here in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. All right. All right. According to a study completed at the University of North Carolina... Americans spend one hour and 47 minutes of their waking hours each day doing what? One hour and 47 minutes. Not snoring. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, they're waking hours. They're, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's right. We wouldn't snore when we waked. <laughs> Eating. No. What? Absolutely nothing. Oh, <laughs> Well, thanks for saving my time there, because I could have gone on and on and on. Oh, my goodness. Well, you ever think about that? How much time you spend doing absolutely nothing? You're not? Yeah. Can't imagine how they measured that in North Carolina. Well, they spent time doing nothing, watching other people doing nothing. I don't know. You're breathing. What do you mean they're doing nothing? (laughs) 
Well, you're right. Breathing is definitely something. Okay, Bob. You okay, got- I want to tell you something that two men did, two very brave but unknown men did in 1896, and I'll tell you all the tools they needed to do it. What did George Harbo and Frank Samuelson do in 1896? Transportation is your clue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Water is your second clue. Well, there were certainly boats before then. So yeah, but they're only they- two men, so what did they do? This is, I can't canoe. believe they did they this. They built a canoe? No. Close. Was, now, Indians did that a long time before. Uh, kayak. They rowed across the Atlantic Ocean. Jeez. Two men. Stupid. They set, <laughs> hey, they set sail from New York in an open boat. They took turns at the oars and reached Britain's Sicily Islands after 55 days at sea. Now, here's what it took to do that. Canned meat, 250 eggs, 100 pounds of sea biscuits, nine pounds of coffee, two tanks of fresh water, and a small stove and five gallons of kerosene. Where did they sit? What kind of boat was this? It was a row boat. But it was it, a row boat? Well, they had to row. They used oars, so it was something they could move. But I can't imagine. Just think of all the weight of all those things. Just the coffee alone would sink you. <laughs> the coffee alone. <laughs> okay. Let's talk national anthems. The shortest national anthem are those of Japan and Jordan. Each contains only four lines. Uh, Star Spangled Banner has four verses. Yeah. So the longest national anthem is Greece. How many stanzas or verses do they have? Oh, <laughs> uh, Greece. Okay, we have four. I'll say eight for them. Yeah, good guess. And it does have an eight in it. 158. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Let's get up and sing the national anthem. Spend the whole day doing what that. The heck? Who would put 158 I, verses on a I don't know. On a song. That's just crazy. Jeez. Okay, you know war bonds. They've been used to finance conflicts numerous times in American history. When were the first war bonds sold and who was our enemy at the time? The first war bonds. Oh, I well then, I guess it's not World War II then. No, I said uh-uh. World War One. No, no, before that. Yeah. Okay, was it during the Revolutionary War? No, it was after that. After that, so the Civil War. Nope, it was the War of eighteen twelve. <laughs> I was running out of wars. Thank That's you. That's right, and it was to use to purchase military equipment to fight our enemy. Great Britain, yeah, England. So the first war bonds in the United States were used to fight England. Huh. And that was just 29 years after the revolution. And they were our big ally come wars later. Yeah. Okay. Largest tree in the world mm-hmm. is what and where? I always thought maybe it was the General Grant, which is a sequoia. You got the right war, wrong general. Oh, oh, really? Okay, it's the General Sherman tree. <laughs> that's it, that's it. And it's uh, located in the Sequoia National Park in California. It weighs 12 million pounds. Now, who the heck weighed that? I don't 12 know. 12 million that. Yeah. pounds. 2,700 years old, and it's over 275 feet tall. You know what the circumference is? I could put my arms around it. Yes, Apparently well, not, not at 103 feet around. Oh, ho, 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 ho. So, it's considered the largest tree in the world. Bet it's still growing. It is. Okay, Marcia, here is a question again about the United States, since we're on the topic of the U.S. There are 10 states in the United States that have been named after people. 10 states named after people. What are they? 
Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I, uh, Ten states named after people. people. A hint. One was named after a president. Washington. Okay, so Washington State. Exactly. And uh, Jim, Texas. Jim, Texas. You got it right. It was Jim, <laughs> Texas. No, no. Uh, okay, you have to tell me because I'm going to sit here and... Okay, Georgia. Yeah. That's named after King George the First of England. Really? I didn't know that. He granted its charter in 1732. Louisiana was named after... Louise Mandrell? No, King Louis the Fourteenth. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> God. The French explorer Robert LaSalle named that whole territory Louisiana. I claim this in the name of oh, King Louis XIV. Okay. That was in 1682. Maryland was named after... Monroe. No, no. <laughs> Officially was named after Queen Henrietta Maria, uh-huh. wife of Charles I. All right. New York. That's named after a man, believe York. it or not. The Duke of York. Yeah. King that... Charles's brother was the Duke of York. Okay, what else you got there? How many okay. out of ten? Two states were named after named Virginia? after a person, North and South. Carolina. Carolina. Who are they <laughs> named after? Uh, I don't know. Not somebody named Carol. I, I was gonna say the name Charles in Latin is Carolus. Oh, okay. So they were named after King Charles the First of England, and he established the province of Carolina in 1629. There are four others. We'll get to those a little later. Well, four others that name them. Okay. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Named after William Penn. Okay. Virginia was named after who? Not somebody named Virginia. I, I don't know, Bob. Named after the Virgin Queen. Oh, that would be uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. This Elizabeth the first. the first. They called her the Virgin Queen because she never had children. She never was yeah. married. So. Yeah. All right. West Virginia, part of Virginia originally. So it's named yeah. after the Virgin Queen. And as we said, Washington State. So those are the 10 states named after ah. people. Wow. And I only got one, Washington. <laughs> okay. One out of 10. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now right. ask me a tough one. Name the world's largest railroad station in terms of platform capacity. Is it in the United States? Maybe. Okay. Is it, <laughs> um, is it New York? Uh, let's see. What is it? What's the one in New York City? How grand is grand it? Grand Central Station. Indeed it is. How big is it's it? It's situated on 48 acres of land. The upper level has 41 tracks and 26 more on the lower level. So in terms of platform capacity, it's the biggest in the entire world. With 60-some-odd tracks. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, let's take a break. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back with Trivia on the Off-Ramp. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. And we're going to move into more fun questions here. Okay, I got something fun. Okay. The secret to understanding your dog's behavior, Bob is that the average dog has a mind equivalent to a human being how old? Uh, five years old. Oh, that's pretty old. Really? Yeah. Oh, so the dogs aren't that well developed well, in their brain. No. It's half that. Two and a half years old. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the average. And dogs can understand about 165 words at that level. Hmm. At two and a half. Now, there are super dogs in the 20% category, closer to three years old, and they can understand around 250 words. But PhD Stanley Corin of British Columbia, he calls them the Mozart of dogs who understand a thousand words. Jeez. 
those are dogs that are trained for four hours a day. Is there any particular breed that has... No, it doesn't say. A psychologist, John Pilley, had a border collie who showed knowledge of the names of 1,022 objects in a published study. But he worked with them, like I said, four hours a day. So what kind of life is that? So you can say, oh, my dog knows a 1,000. But my dog's in school all the time. <laughs> dog. And it's and it's not even obedient school. But uh, dogs like our Buster, we're talking uh, 165. Five words. 165 Jeez. words. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, Marsha, you are an avid walker. You have a Fitbit, and 10,000 steps a day is the one that most people go after. Well, in 1965, the threshold of 10,000 steps a day was established as the minimum number to walk for good health. What was the science behind that number? 10,000? Yeah. What was the science behind that? Well, that's what, 10,000 steps is what, five miles? What was Um, the science behind the number? Uh, well, I have no idea. There was no science. (laughs) (laughs) There was no science. This was just made up. Well, some guy could do it and said, okay, let's do that. Kind of. It's kind of, it's sad in a way, but it's interesting. The 10,000 step threshold was invented by a Japanese equipment company when it launched a pedometer in 1965. Oh my gosh. That really is the origin, according to Dr. Aimin Lee of Harvard Medical School. The Japanese company's machine was launched with the slogan, let's walk 10,000 steps a day. (laughs) And over the next... He's got the whole world. I got to get my 10,000 steps in. And over the next 50 years, that became the default goal for fitness trackers, smartphone apps, even corporate wellness programs where they give you money if you make those numbers of steps. But there was absolutely no scientific study to determine that number. Now, here's the good news. If you find 10,000 steps a day, the equivalent of five miles a day, too difficult, take heart. Because Dr. Lee did do a scientific study. They found that by walking just 4,400 steps a day, you could associate that with a 41% reduction in mortality. So if you're working 4,000 steps, you're doing all right. This was done with people who wore hip-mounted accelerometers to track their movements. And they studied women between the ages of 62 and 101 to get those figures. Really? Yeah. All I know is when I put my information into Fitbit and they saw my age... They said 7,000 steps a day was suggested. So obviously... (laughs) They're overestimating what's necessary, according to this study. So how many steps does the average American walk in a day? I'd say 5,000. 4,800. So we're doing relatively well. And and again, that number is associated with lowering your mortality by 42%. That's good to know that average American walks 5,000 a day. Well, now that you mention that... (laughs) Who are the people who walk the most oh, steps per day? I read day? this once, and I forget. Uh, let me think. I think they're over there in the Netherlands somewhere in that area. No? No? Okay, the Japanese. Oh, they, really? They average 7,000 to 7,500 steps a day. Australians in the South Pacific and the Swiss in Europe average 9,000 to 10,000 steps okay. every day. Okay, now, one more. What group on average, walks more steps than any other. What group? Yes, what group? Now, let me give you a hint. It's not a nationality. Mormons. No, not Mormons, but it is a religious group. It's the Old Order Amish. I was going to say Amish because what the heck? They got the horse and their feet. Yeah, they're people who have eschewed most of modern technology. They average 14,000 to 18,000 steps a day. 
Ah. All right, so... Yeah, you don't see a lot of fat uh, Amish, do you? All that comes from the Wall Street Journal, a story, 10,000 steps a day, fewer may be fine. (laughs) That was uh, just published in uh, June of uh, 2020. Well, let's go from fitness to potato chips. I thought you were going to say fitness to fatness. (laughs) Well, potato chips will put you in that category. I think you are going there. That's right. So if you're a junk food lover, you know this. No matter where you shop or what brand you buy, when you tear open a bag of potato chips, it's almost always what? Fat. <laughs> no. Oh, oh. Half so. full. Oh, yes, of course, you're right. That's right. Yes, and why is that? That's my question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably to make the bag look bigger. Like it's got, hey, you're getting more than you really think you are. Or you're getting less than you think you are. But is that uh, oxygen or that airspace necessary for the product? It is to keep it from crumbling. Oh. And it's not just regular air in there. It's nitrogen gas. The manufacturing industry of potato chips call it slack fill. Hmm. It's empty space intentionally placed around a product. So as it's buffered about from store to store and trucks and all that, there's a lot less breakage. So your potato chips are bigger and better because of that half bag. The nitrogen gas, I didn't know that was in there. No, didn't know that either. That's a natural gas, completely harmless, and it uh, keeps them from spoiling. Very good. All right, from fitness to fatness to presidents. (laughs) And I'm not talking about a fat president either. What U.S. president could read and write in Latin, Greek, and English? What U.S. president could read and write in Latin, Greek, and English? Was it John Adams? No. Came later, much later in the 19th century. FDR? No. I don't know. James Garfield. He had been a congressman, a college professor, and a brigadier general during the Civil War. Unfortunately... He wasn't president very long. He was assassinated after only 200 days in office. But it's said that he could write in Latin with one hand and in Greek with the other at the same time. Good Lord. He's a brilliant person. So it's a great loss to the nation. We never got to know how good he could have been. Wow. And he could have negotiated with all those Greeks At the same time. (laughs) Yes, he could have negotiated with people from two different cultures at the same time. That's right, with his right and left hand. I'll end with an Academy Award question. Okay. Okay. Now, we're all used to the Academy Awards running long, way too long. Yes. But what happened during the Academy Awards of 1958? This is like the third year they were on television. Was it too short? Too short. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) At the conclusion of the awards, everyone on stage sang the grand finale, There's No Business Like Show Business, and then it was discovered they still had 20 minutes remaining in their two two hours that they had set aside. So what did they do? Well, Jerry Lewis tried to ad-lib to fill the time. Oh, God help me. (laughs) But so many stars began leaving the hall, NBC switched to a 15-minute filler on sports. Oh, my gosh. But can you imagine an Academy Awards broadcast only an hour and 45 minutes long? It's nice to think about. Yeah, but it'll never happen today. Now, everybody got up and said thanks a lot and sat down. Uh, uh, Can you imagine? Imagine being the host of that. And no. Oh, got 20 minutes to fill. You got 20 two, minutes left? Two minutes, maybe, but and, 20? And Jen Jerry Lewis. Hey, lady. <laughs> and, okay, that's too much for anybody to watch. And, oh, all dear. right, I'm going to go out with a joke. Okay. All right. If you're an American when you go in the bathroom and you're an American when you come out of the bathroom, uh-huh. what are you when you're in the bathroom? I'm still an American, I think. This is a strange question. You're a European. 
Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. All right, you don't have to. That's, that's a new low, Marsh. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Oh, dear. Our, our, our young listeners need a little joke okay. to share. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> and if you're an American going in the bathroom. <laughs> all right. We got that, Marsh. I got that. European. Okay. I'm trying to. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, and that's it for today on The Off-Ramp. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time for more trivia questions. Bye-bye. On the off-ramp. We already said that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.